Welcome everyone to another episode of Inside RNA. I am your host, Michael Pensavene. I am a litigation member of the firm. Uh, I've been with the firm for over 23 years. Uh, my focus has been on commercial litigation, uh, joint venture and partnership disputes, contract and lease disputes, L&T litigation, construction issues, uh, and co-op condo disputes and corporate representation of condos. Um, today, we're going to discuss the challenges that are facing a lot of co-ops and condos in New York City. And, and with me is my guest, Tina Larson. Uh, Tina Larson is the powerhouse behind the Folsom Group, New York City's leading co-op and condo consultant. Uh, Tina created the Folsom Group after leveraging her analytical skills in the financial industry to save her own co-op $340,000, and then realizing that many other co-ops and condos could benefit from this service and Tina's talents. Uh, the Folsom Group now offers a variety of services to help buildings run more like a business to save money. Uh, Tina holds a Lead Green Associate designation. She's the author of Living the High Life and is passionate about supporting boards to make their buildings safer, more sustainable, and more affordable. Uh, I'm thrilled to have Tina as our guest because the Folsom Group has a very unique service that I, I see expanding all over the city uh, in the co-op and condo practice, uh, especially as co-op and condos become more complex with the challenges they face in the 21st century. So, um, Tina, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Michael. Great to be here. Let's start by uh, having you give us your background uh, and telling us a little bit about the Folsom Group. Thank you very much. Um, so you said it well. So I come from an analytical background in finance. I worked on Wall Street for many years as a business analyst when our co-op was increasing our maintenance again. And we went, and for those who are not in New York, that's the HOA fee, basically. And we, so we held a coup. We took over the board, threw the old board out, went through some numbers, analyzed, I put together a benchmark of numbers and data and then we were able to save our building $340,000. During those three years, and by now it's millions, during those three years, we realized that boards are really not very supported or their property manager does what the property manager does, but the board needs extra help to be able to get ahead as opposed to just taking care of the day-to-day -day operation and the, and the emergencies. So because of that, we real and we also realized that boards is probably that little segment is probably the only industry that doesn't have any consultants who look at all the aspects of supporting them and to get them to be able to manage their building proactively. So we hung up shingles and started the Folsom Group in 2014. Oh, that's great. That's great. Thank um, you. So, so what challenges are you seeing in the industry? What, what really led to this little niche in the market? Yeah, so the, it's a great question. The because buildings are aging, they are their systems are aging, right? And many of the systems, many of the building systems are way past their life expectancy. So there are the aging buildings that the boards are trying to get ahead, and they're busy as it is with a regular schedule work, right? With our work, business, hobby, family, and the property managers taking on more and more properties right? and having less and less time 
And then all of this is combined with now all the new safety rules. So uh, the, the parapet inspection, the new parapet inspection, the garage inspection, right. local, local law 152, the gas inspections, and now the Climate Mobilization Act, local law 97, which is the biggest problem for them. Yeah, I think you raise a couple of good points there because, I mean, a lot of these buildings that, um, you know, during the building boom in the 50s and 60s, these buildings are really, you know, getting quite old. And, and the systems that are initially in place, people don't realize the age of the systems and the fact that you can't see them necessarily, such as an old pipe, a gas line, an old plumbing line. Um, you don't know what the conditions are and you're walking into a co-op and these are surprises that uh, can certainly uh, grab you when you least expect it. And, and I can tell you that I actually am handling something right now where there was a water leak. And I'm sure this happens all the time in these old buildings where a pipe behind a wall breaks and it causes a flood downstairs. And now you have all these shareholders, one's mad at the other for causing a leak. They have to move out, renovate. Um, and then the board has to get involved and deal with these old lines. And, and no one wants to be surprised by this. And certainly uh, getting ahead of this is, is, is crucial to the viability of a co-op and making sure that it's being run as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, Absolutely. The, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, how would they, unless they go in behind the walls to analyze, to measure the heating pipes, the sewer lines, their... Uh, they're electrical. They don't know what's behind how the electrical, the the quality, or what kind of electricity is behind the old uh, boxes, both inside of the apartments as well as the electrical main box for the building. Those, in many cases, have not been replaced. So you work with consultants that that handle that and, and give you reports on those systems. Yeah, so we are we are not we are not engineers, so we're consultants. So we bring in engineers who specialize in those engineers and professionals, plumbers, uh, heating, HVAC specialists, uh, electricians, plumbers, yeah, and HVAC specialists, and architects and engineers. Let me ask you: in the industry. Um... Have you noticed any trends with insurance given the age of these buildings um, and these system failures that come into play? How does that affect insurance rates? And, and what, if anything, can you do to address that? Because insurance costs have been skyrocketing for everyone, uh, certainly over the past few years. And it's becoming a, a very big challenge for many buildings in the city and many building owners and landlords as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, so the insurance, you're right, the insurance poly, uh, uh, premiums are, have been increasing over the last few years. And it, not only that, they've been, the premiums have increased while the coverage has been decreasing. So it's a double, right? Double uh, a double whammy, yes. And, but it is in large part because of the aging systems about their systems not being up to code. The electrical system is very often not up to code. And then the plumbing, if there's one leak, there normally doesn't stop with one leak. If there's one leak, there's, there's probably, I mean, it's most likely the entire pipe needs to be replaced. Right. So, so what can you do as far as cost savings on these issues? Um, you know, there's one part of it, which is identifying the problem. 
how does that translate into cost savings for the building? Yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not so easy. Well, we reduce their ongoing operating costs. So that can come from, come from any of their service contracts. And it, well, let's start from the beginning. So when it comes to heating, water, electricity, it's their usage. So we reduce how much they use, not the cost of how much they pay for that same. Obviously for water, you can't negotiate with New York City, right? Um, but we, re we reduce how much they use. When it comes to all the other costs, insurance, et cetera, and we go through everything. So we start with insurance and we go through the exterminating service, elevator service contract. We go through every single line item and we reduce how much they, they pay for the rest of them. And the, if we reduce um, their 20%, which is variable, approximately 20%, that it's not about that they are not going to use it anymore so they are those costs are fixed but we can reduce how much they pay for them when it comes to projects we can reduce or we can review give a second of second opinion so the engineer has three bids for the roof the one you or for a roof replacement for instance we will review those bids and we will provide an additional bid and in many cases our bids are at a lower cost. That's great. So on, on average, how much money are you saving uh, co-op and condo boards that you consult with? It depends. <laughs> we just had a $1.7 million uh, roof replacement, including parapets. It was 1.7 and ours came in at 1.1. So it depends on the project. We had an elevator replacement that was $750,000 was the lowest bid gotten by the elevator consultant. We were able to renegotiate that same um, bid with the same vendor for $504,000. Yeah, so obviously if it's a small project, then not a lot of money, but a bigger project, bigger yeah. money. And I was going to say, I mean, this is this is really important, and it's an important service because um, if if everyone's been watching the trends over the past several years, there's been a lot of these local laws rolling out. There's been a lot of regulation, and New York City has been slowly implementing change, and they want to change how these old buildings operate. They want to change it for purposes of safety, and you'll start looking at all these local laws. I know you touched upon it earlier, these local laws that are rolling out. Um, how do these old buildings comply with it? How do they keep up and how do they um, avoid the penalties that, that go along with them? Because it's really, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? Either you, you're paying for the cost of having to upgrade and comply with these laws or you're facing these fines and the fines could be quite substantial. It's, it's a balancing act. And I think that, uh, you know, certainly uh, boards could use some guidance on that. Um, and this is this is different than what a managing agent does. And I think I'd like to talk about what what you do relative to what the managing agent does on a day to day basis. I think you're you're at a higher level and, and more of a um, uh, an operational perspective than than the day to day management. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be happy to share. And so the property managers. One of their main jobs is to do record keeping and bookkeeping, okay? Then they take complaints. 
I always say we don't take complaints. <laughs> we listen to complaints, but we don't take complaints. <laughs> so we don't have a complaint department. Then they also have to attend all the board meetings. We don't attend board meetings. When we meet with our boards, we typically do that outside of the scheduled meeting. We meet both with boards so that it's very focused. This is what we're here to meet for, about today. We're here to talk about an update on your electrification project, and this is what we need to do. So it's outside of the, uh, the regular schedule. And so what the property manager does is very different from what we do because we work either on just cost reduction and that is what we spend a lot of our time on or we do project management and the project management part that we do so is more like we act as the quarterback so we tie all the different ends in, we tie in, we work with, we collaborate with the engineer, with the architect, with the vendors, with the board, with the residents. We even communicate directly with residents on the behalf of the board and with the property manager. And we help basically quarterback that entire process and help the board make decisions. How do we set this up as a, this is the, um, a master plan over the next 10 years. This is a smaller plan. This is what we need to do immediately. And then we help them roll it out over time. So you're the big picture. You're, you're the big picture. How do we move forward? Let's have a plan five years, 10 years, um, mm -hmm. and, and the overall sustainability going forward, not the short-term day-to-day just getting by. And again, I think it's important for boards to realize that this is something that they need to start thinking about. They need to think beyond the day-to-day -day, um, and, and start focusing on the big picture because like we were talking about these local laws, um, and I know you mentioned local law 97. Um, I know uh, there have been Inside r and &E podcasts on local law 97. We recently also launched um, a, a, a column in the Brick Underground. We we spoke about Local Law 97 in that uh, in that paper. Um, and and for those of you not familiar with Local Law 97, uh, Local Law 97 is uh, a local law whose goal is to reduce greenhouse emissions from large buildings by up to 40 percent. It's a very aggressive law that was implemented by New York City, and it starts very soon in in January of 2024. Um, if buildings, and this affects buildings of 25,000 gross square feet. So it affects many buildings in New York City, and it probably affects many co-op and condos that aren't even aware that it affects their buildings. And what happens is if those buildings don't reduce their emissions within the threshold requirements, they're going to be fined. And those fines could be quite substantial. Uh, I believe that the amount is $268 per ton over the limit. So um, it could easily rack up to a five-figure fine every single year that the building's not complying with this uh, local law 97. And in other podcasts that we've done and other um, newsletters that r &E has done, we've, we've spoken about options that are available that we work with. Um, such as the PACE program, the Property Assessed Clean Energy Program as a financing tool to help buildings get the financing for complying with uh, Local Law 97. 
but you know it's it's not that easy and there are challenges and i think this is where the Folsom group comes in and and provides some other uh, advice for boards on how to proceed so tina what's your experience with, with local 197 and how boards have been handling it yeah so we're we're in the planning phase for many boards right now and the we have some boards that have taken a very proactive approach and they're already they're not anywhere near where they need to be but they have taking our recommendations and we have moved forward so we have been able to reduce their fines from in the hundred thousand per year starting in 2030 to no fines until 2035. wow that's great yes but i mean we are seeing that some of our uh, newer clients or some of our the, the the ones that we have the clients that or prospect clients that we have in the pipeline their fines are often quarter of a million dollars starting in 2030 and and the fine is annually so it doesn't there's no end to this it only increases so it increases in 2030 so just to back up for the viewers in 2024, so starting now in January, the electricity or the energy used in 2024 will be reported in 2025. Only 11% of the buildings that are covered, over 25,000 square feet, only 11% of the buildings are expected to get fined in 2025. Okay. 2030 is the next threshold. That number goes up to 75% of buildings are expected to be fined. That's crazy. It really is. It really is. And, and, and you think about how do we attack this problem? And it's, it's not just one particular thing. You, you look at the building holistically and, and you look at how many different things can we do to increase the efficiency of this building. And it could be from new windows to a different boiler to you know, more insulation. Um, and and it, it really requires each building to have an individualized approach to how they're going to comply with this local law. And, and Tina, I mean, you raise very good concerns and, and that forward thinking is what boards need because they could all of a sudden wake up one day and get surprised with a huge fine. And now they're assessing all of their shareholders uh, to make ends meet, and and it may be difficult for some of those individuals to do that, putting some financial strain on buildings. So um, that is something very important. And one thing too is this doesn't happen overnight. Okay, so we're working with a building right now. So most buildings that are old, they don't have enough electricity, electric capacity, right? So think about this. First, you have to start with upgrading adding capacity to the electrical main box then you need to have con edison dig up the street con edison needs dot approval and if the if the if they just repaved the street they're not allowed to touch it for one year right now i just spoke with a con edison supervisor the other day and they had an 18 month backlog okay then when they dig up the street and they they don't only repair the the uh, conduits or the pipes 
right in front of that building, they actually do that. It's their policy to do that all the way out to the side streets. So they do the entire street. And I'm sure that most of our listeners have seen a Con Edison dig where they open it up and see, look down there because it's completely corroded and it's a massive disaster. And in some cases it takes two months, but in some cases it takes several years. And you have to do all of that before you can actually then replace the boiler with heat pumps. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's surprises that you might not even be aware of that uh, could slow down your compliance with, with local law. And there's no forgiveness, right? It, it, the city's not going to hear about, you know, your incapable electrical system that uh, is going to hold up your compliance. Uh, you may be stuck with these fines and having to pay the cost of uh, the upgrades nevertheless. So, um, again, that's why I think uh, forward thinking is, is critical. Um, yeah. But think about this, though. If everybody starts, so let's say that for this particular case, we're expecting a two and a, so a three year window, okay, from start to finish, from they make a decision. Right. So three years, if you wait until 2027, then everybody's going to wait until 2027, right? or majority of buildings or boards are going to wait until last minute. And then there's going to be a shortage of um, not only mechanical engineers and boiler guys and HVAC system people, there's going to be a shortage there. There's probably also going to be a higher demand with Con Edison. So the delay might be even, so it's probably going to, the longer you wait, the longer it's the more costly it's my guess that it's going to be more costly supply and demand. i mean that's that's a very uh well-known principle in uh in economics so uh again i think it's it's worthwhile to to really take a look at this and we've certainly been encouraging our clients to to start looking at this now now is the time to do it so uh it, it's 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 important what about gas lines have you had any issues with with gas lines in buildings because that's that's another topic that the city's been focused on recently in the subject of another local law 152 um, yeah. requiring these periodic inspections of gas lines um, and this began just a few years ago so so what have you seen with gas yeah so there are and so those gas line inspections they might actually result in shutting down the, the gas in the building and we have seen we have worked with several buildings that had their gas shut down and I'm sure that you have heard of it too when mm -hmm. you're Oh, absolutely. And it takes forever to put it back. But I recently spoke with a multifamily property owner in Brooklyn. What he did when he when they shut his gas down, what he did was that he increased the electric capacity and installed the induction stoves. Oh, okay. That's so that way he could he didn't have to do the gas. He had to spend more money, but he felt that why am I replacing the gas in trying to figure out inside the walls which gas line is leaking and he said just let's replace it so he replaced the stoves and um, the, the boiler with uh, heat pumps yeah and I could tell you I've seen the same thing um, you know from a, from a legal perspective as well too because let's understand first Local law 152 applies to buildings that are three units or more. So it affects basically every residential building in the city. 
Um, and if you are renting apartments and the gas goes out, you're going to have very unhappy tenants. It certainly it, it, it imposes a, um, an abatement of rent. So now the rent is down. Um, if you're dealing with rent regulation, now there's, there's other complications as a result of the lack of services. Uh, they could freeze the rent. They could get orders from DHCR. Um, there, there are a lot of a host of, of issues with gas, but but you're right, Tina. And putting the gas back on is very complicated because what you do is you have to depressurize the system. And then once a gas line is depressurized, you don't know what other problems may come up along the way. I mean, this is a system that's pressurized for many many years. All of a sudden, depressurized, and now they're little leaks in other areas of the building and owners just don't have the time or the patience to track all this down it does become very expensive and then you take into consideration the fact that new york city seems to be phasing itself out of gas usage and they don't want gas to be used in the city anymore um, maybe now's the right time to make an investment to electric and many landlords have done that they've done it from a perspective of just solving the problem quick and easy, moving over to electric, especially since gas is just for cooking gas. If it's just for cooking, then the electrical switch is very easy to make. Um, but again, it's it depends on the building and it depends on the, getting the right advice. You, you would think, Michael, changing, yeah. changing the stove from uh, gas to electric is actually very complex. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, sorry to hear that. I, mean, I thought you just wanted a, a new electric line and call it a day. You don't have to worry about leaks in an electric line. But uh... no, you need no. You it's com it's complex. You might not have enough electric capacity in your apartment, in your own box, in the right. kitchen, or wherever you wherever you have your box. Then the more board needs to make the decision. Okay, so if we let Michael change his from gas to, are we going to let all of them? And if we let all the residents to treat everybody fairly, right? What if we let all the residents change from gas to electric? Then does the building have enough capacity to? Yes. So there, it's it. It might seem very easy. Plug it in, be done. Oh, and then you're going to need to have. Um, permits because you're going to have to cap the gas line so you need to engage an engineer or an architect to cap the gas line and then con edison needs to come and inspect that it was properly capped so it's right. it might sound easy but it might not be as easy as it sounds okay tina it sounds like you've learned a lot after doing this for so many years <laughs> yeah your hard hat on and uh, start doing the work yourself at some point. Oh, I should have brought my hard hat. I have one. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, look, I, I know we've, we've discussed the, the guts of buildings, but but certainly the outside of buildings too is an issue, right? Um, that yeah. has been challenging for co-ops uh, and condos to, to manage. And, and again, local laws. The city loves these local laws to you know, regulate buildings and, and local law 126, which requires, you know, inspections of the parapet. Um, and, and, you know, that sort of ties into local law 11, which requires inspections of the overall facade. So, you know, what do, what do boards do to manage this type of uh, inspection and maintenance? 
Yeah, and that's so the buildings that are uh, that need to adhere to what is now known as FISP, which used to be local on eleven. Uh, there's approximately 15,000 buildings that ha are six stories and taller, and they have been undergoing um, facade inspections and parapet inspections every five years for the last um, nine cycles. So however many, yeah, 35 years. So they're kind of boards and property managers and engineers and uh, masons, they're, they're used to this now because it's been going on for decades. The new parapet law requires buildings taller than two stories to inspect their parapets that are facing the sidewalk, which makes sense. Every now and then we hear about some building that is not six stories. So the problem as we see it is, first of all, it's gonna probably be costly if you've never done any repairs and you have to do this now, then the first time around, it's probably gonna be very costly. Okay, number two is there are 100,000 buildings that need to adhere to this new law. So if we have a, an ecosystem of people who can support 15,000 buildings for the FISP or Local Law 11 uh, compliance, now we have to increase that to be able to support 100,000 buildings. Do we have enough engineers? Do we have enough masons? Do we have enough professionals who can support this? Right. And again, it's knowing what cycle you're on, when your reporting is required, um, and being in front of it. Um, yeah. Which is is I think beyond regular day to day management. This is this is having the the full picture, having the big picture, and I, I think that's something that the uh, Folsom Group has been done doing very well over the past several years. Um, uh, so, Tina, let me ask you, have you lived in New York City uh, your whole life? I mean, what's your, what's your background? I mean, I you can't tell you what... off, like off the top of your head, you're like, you're, you're a, a natural. <laughs> I'm a curious person. I am from Sweden originally. I moved to New York in 1994. Wow. With a goal to work on Wall Street. You know, like Working Girl, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Take Staten Island Ferry, briefcase. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so I worked on Wall Street and then we kind of fell into this niche and we feel, I because I'm from Sweden or maybe not, but I don't know. I'm very passionate about sustainability and uh, have always been. So here we are. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so what's next for the Folsom Group? Where do you uh, where do you see things heading? We are seeing that our um, our we're seeing a high demand, especially for all the new laws. And um, there are other consultants that operate in the energy space, especially. But because we do so much more, we take a holistic approach. So there are lots of energy consultants and they have been working on this for years and they might be nationwide and, or they might have their little niche where the only thing they do is file the benchmarking report. So there are various energy consultants. Very often, they don't look at the water. Well, as you know, what do you use when you take showers? <laughs> You use hot water. 
which means that you want to reduce how much water you're using because if you reduce how much water you're using it's going to have an effect on your greenhouse gas or carbon emissions or carbon footprint so and then we take it even further how are they going to fund this? Sure, they can try getting PACE loans, which is not very easy because most boards, most co-ops have an underlying mortgage. So it's not as easy as it sounds, even if it is available for some. But if we reduce the cost of their insurance, of their exterminating service, their elevator service contract, of their project, the roof leak that they have to fix, if we reduce those costs, they can use that savings to pay for some of the needed upgrades. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I think that's a, a smart approach to, uh, you know, handling all of these challenges. Um, but let me ask you, I mean, you know, it's we're talking about a lot of different costs that boards have to uh, just to keep up with the local laws and, and maintenance of old buildings. Um, and they have their managing agent that they have to hire to, to manage the day-to-day. Um, how does the Folsom Group um, get paid? How, what are the costs for, for hiring a consultant um, such as yourself? Yeah, so we have so on our we have two kinds of project or two kinds of agreements. So on our cost reduction, we share the savings with our clients. And for projects, that's a one-time savings. So if we go the elevator from 750 to 405, we decide on what the difference is and we split it 50-50. And for ongoing operating costs is 50% for the first two years so that it's rolling 24 months. For our project management, we, uh, we have a fixed fee that's a percentage of the total project cost. So if it's a $10 million project or a fee is based on a $10 million project. That's fantastic. So if I wanted to hire you to lower the cost and take a, a look at what our service contracts are, you could come in and, and save me money. And either way, but just by hiring you, I'm saving money. Um, and in no circumstance would I have to come out of pocket if you were unable to lower any of my costs. Is that right? Absolutely. That is absolutely correct. And, like and, and I, we always tell people that if it doesn't, we can't find any savings, it's not going to cost you anything. But the thing is that we have never had worked with a building where we weren't able to save them something. <laughs> but that's great. That's what you want, right? You don't want to hire a consultant and have them say they can't help. You want them to actually make sure that they're streamlining what you're doing. So, so that's fantastic. And you must be doing something right if you're saving everybody money that's uh, engaging in services. So I uh, congratulate you for that uh, on a job well done. Um, so let me ask you, I mean, if there's one takeaway that you'd like to give the audience, um, what would your what would your recommendation be to them? Start now, because if the boiler goes out in four years from now, you need to be prepared. And if you start now and you have at least bids, prospects, you have an engineer in place, you have a consultant in place, you have vendors lined up, and you have some bids, then you can start assessing now. And then if the boiler goes down in four years from now, five years from now, then you already have planned because the planning stage is really what takes a lot of time. Whereas if four years from now, you have no plan, what are you going to end up doing? Replacing it with another boiler. Right. That's, yeah. that's great advice. And, and certainly um, working together the way that we have um, 
has really benefited our clients, um, staying in front of problems, not behind them, and, and allowing them to um, move forward without any uh, unreasonable costs or surprises. Um, and, and it's been great. It's been a great partnership. And uh, I, I certainly appreciate you joining us here today. I hope everyone listening got a little something out of it, um, even if it's just facilitating some thought process and thinking about what lies ahead for them and what they need to start talking about within their um, their own boards. And, and certainly, uh, Tina, I hope they reach out to you if uh, they'd like some consulting services, especially with your uh, guarantee on, on saving the money. <laughs> And lowering their costs, it seems like a no-brainer to me that uh, they would certainly they, look to you for some guidance. There's no guarantee other than that it won't cost them anything unless we <laughs> There's no guarantee to savings, but if we don't find any, then the guarantee is no fee. <laughs> so uh, you can reach me at either, I'm very active on LinkedIn, and that's exactly the way it's spelled, Tina Larson. And on our, our website is www.thefolsongroup.com. That's T-H-E-F-O-L-S-O-N group.com. Very often I get Folsom prison, but that's not, that's not <laughs> us. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dan. It's been great having you on the show, and uh, I wish you all the best. I thank all the listeners for tuning in, and uh, we will speak to you all soon. All right. Take care. Be well.